guys, welcome to the Fieldcrafts for All podcast. I'm going to be your host for this ad space. Just want to bring attention to a couple companies that really make this possible for us. And uh, these are some really good folks out there. First company I want to bring some attention to is Black Rifle Coffee. If you have been living under a rock, you might not know that Black Rifle Coffee is a veteran-owned coffee company. They're located over in Salt Lake City, but there are stores opening up all over the United States now, and the coffee is available online and all over the place. Uh, you really want to go take a look at some of the stuff that they offer. I'm a big fan of their instant coffee packets for travel. You know, when the airline comes around and they're like, hey, you know, do you want something to drink? I usually will just say, give me hot water uh, and I'll use the Black Rifle coffee packets just because it's so damn strong. Uh, I would rather do that than use some of their other kind of anemic coffee. So I'd I'm a big fan of Black Rifle Coffee instant coffee packs. Uh, other stuff that they have that you might want to pay attention to, obviously, they've got a whole lineup of ground coffee. They're just black, silencer smooth, gunship. I mean, the list goes on and on. We, of course, at Fieldcraft Survival have the Endurance blend of coffee, which is pretty damn good. And if you come to any of our training events, you're more than likely going to find it brewing uh, over the campfire. That is, if you come to our survival training events, I don't know if these jokers are doing at the the gun stuff. They're probably, I don't know, doing something else, but they're not drinking Black Rifle coffee over a campfire. Totally different class. All right. So uh, check these guys out, blackriflecoffee.com. You can use our coupon code, which is craft15, and that's going to give you a discount when you check out. The only thing I think that is not included with this Black Rifle Coffee coupon code CRAFT15 are the ready to drink things. They're just too damn heavy to ship, I'm guessing. But you can get all your coffee, you can get Keurig cups, you can get all sorts of good stuff. And uh, I highly, highly suggest you check them out. The other company I want to bring your attention to is Sig Sauer. Sig Sauer is located up in New Hampshire. And if you guys are not familiar with New Hampshire, state motto, live free or die. That's right, Granite State, awesome people up there. I love going back to New England. I was born in New England and I spent a lot of time up in New Hampshire and I spent a lot of time at the Sig Sauer Academy training all different types of firearms and all different types of uh, skills and and skill sets. So uh, please check them out, sigsauer.com and uh, take a look at where they've been and what they've done, right? Sig is one of those names that you can rely on, you can trust. They've been in the game a very, very long time. Um, it seems like in the 80s and in the 90s, the classic series pistols were really popular, right? Like the 220, 226, 228, 229. And then you start getting into the 2000s and the 2010s. And then you start seeing the emergence of other guns that SIG is producing, like the new 320, 365 variations that have come out and really just cornered the market when it comes to highly customizable guns. So please check them out as well. Um, and if you really want to try out something a hell of a lot of fun, you got to get your hands on either the MCX or the MPX. It, the way I can describe these two rifles, uh, well, rifle or pistol, depending if you get it with a pistol brace, it just has a different recoil impulse. It feels really, really good. Uh, sweet shooting guns, um, highly, highly capable guns. So please check them out. That is sigsour.com. And if you get a chance, check out the instructors. A lot of them have their own pages. Uh, from the SIG Academy. Again, great folks over there. So please check them out, sixhour.com. All right, guys, here we go. Let's get to this podcast. All right, we'll get started, guys. We don't have a lot of people here. We didn't want to turn this into like a media event. Um, I don't know if you guys, um, how much you know about Rally, but the goal, the objective for today is to kind of give you a sense of um, the intricacies of Rally that... Alex and Reed both understand through their experiences, give you a little bit of context on my own experience, being the new guy working with them through this experience, and then giving you an opportunity to kind of break bread after the fact, eat some snacks, and ask uh, Alex and Reed as many questions as you want. They are here for you because, I mean, selfishly, we're in a, a, a place and position to try to influence rally because we love it as a motorsport and any conversions we can make with people who are semi-interested in it um, is, success, is success to me. One person is, is a big deal. 
Um, I'll start off with giving you an introduction via their, their own stories. Um, if Alex and Rhea are married, they're a married couple, but Alex is Ken Block's co-driver in Rally for 17 years now. And Rhea is Travis Pastrana's co-driver, now been with him for three years. Three years. Uh, national, world champions, uh, a lot of championships. I've been to their house and their trophy rooms, kind of ridiculous. Um, but super competitive, super experienced, and they run a training uh, co-driving schoolhouse called Oz Rally Pro, where I learned how to co-drive, and my co-driver, Glenn, is in the back of the room as, as well. Um, so, Ree, let's start off with you. Um, kind of like we talked about upstairs, you have a pretty epic story because you grew up in Australia in motorsports. Tell me your story and then how you got into rally in the first place. Yeah, for me, I grew up in Australia. I was born into a motorsport family. So my dad was a speedway driver. So from the day I was born, oldest of four children, all I knew was motorsport. Um, so my dad got into rally when I was about five years old and we would get dragged around to forests all around Australia uh, watching dad race. Um, and then as we started getting older, um, I, you know, did lots of different sports. I was a PE teacher. Um, and I love sport in general. And my two brothers were starting to get into rally who were younger than me. And when they, you know, decided to start rallying, my dad thought it would be a great idea for me to be a co-driver. I was very adamant. I get sick when I go in a rally car and all those sort of things. But luckily I stuck at it. And in November, uh, October, 2005, I did my first race with one of my brothers. Um, so my co-driving started in 2005. Um, it's taken me all over the world to, I think I've raced in 16, 17 different countries. Um, I met my husband, so that was really cool. We were both doing the world championship. So for me, rally has been my passion <coughs> and my life. And in 2010, I decided to quit teaching and become a full-time co-driver as, as my full-time job. Um, and then in 2013, Alex and I decided to start Oz Rally Pro because I really love teaching and giving back. So we decided that it was a great way to you know, use my teaching skills and give back to this rally community that we love. So, yeah, we, it's interesting. We just did a stories of survival with Julian on Ree because she had a really catastrophic um, event where they were in an accident, her and her brother, her brother was driving. She was co-driving that almost took her life. I mean, if it wasn't for a fire extinguisher, I think you might, you might not be here. We'll get in that a little later, but um, really epic story. And currently been with Travis Estrano for three years in Subaru Motorsports, off and on for many years, right? Yeah, so I first worked with Subaru Motorsport in 2016 with Bucky Lassick, professional skateboarder, who also does some motorsport. Um, and like for me, I've worked with countless different manufacturers. I was with Toyota in 2017 with Ryan Millen. Um, and then, yeah, in 2020, um, the opportunity come up to work with Travis Pastrana with Subaru Motorsport USA. So Travis and I have worked together for those last three years. We won the championship last year, so that was fantastic. Um, and Alex and Ken were second, and now they're aiming to beat us this year. So there's a nice rivalry going on between us two at the moment. So, yeah, so it's been really great for me to work with a big manufacturer like Subaru and, and obviously Travis, who's, you know, his own um, personality in, in so many different ways in, in the crazy things he does. And then he obviously does rally as well. So it's been really cool. Yeah, Alex, um, you grew up in Italy and have been doing this for a long time, decades, like 29 plus years. Uh, how did your journey start and how did you get to the point where you're at today? Well, it's actually interesting because it's quite different from the background Rhiannon comes from. She comes from a, a racing family, right? I don't, you know, my parents had no interest whatsoever in cars or racing, but I come, I was born and raised in, in a country where the sport of rallying is very, very big. So as a, as a young kid with my mates, I used to go watch rallies and hill climbs and things like that. So then when I actually turned 18 years old, I, I went to a co-driver school, which funny enough is one of the programs that we offer now, uh, 30 years later. So uh, co-driving school, then started doing my first rides. I did four or five years in the, in the regional championships in Southern Italy. Then I moved here in the US. So that was in 1994. After a couple of years establishing myself and finding out what the sport was uh, all about here in North America, so I started competing again here. 
Uh, and, and since then has been, uh, like you said, nearly 29 years in the sport. So, but you know, your dad was a, a rally driver. My parents had never been to a single event of mine because there was no interest, but it doesn't preclude the fact that people from different backgrounds and, you know, and families and, you know, countries and everything, they all, you know, find this sport of rallying, which is pretty awesome. They, they find it and they, and they get really involved in such an addictive sport. So it's, that's what's cool about it. Yeah, how did you get linked up with um, Ken Block, and and how did that whole kind of thing work out? You know, if if you didn't uh, know it, <clears throat> two races ago in Olympus, they were in nearly a, a very catastrophic accident. They hit a tree, did twelve Gs of energy transferred from what guessments sixty plus miles an hour to zero instantaneously. Um, wrecked a $500,000 car, recovered from that, and just won the last race, which is just, I, I mean, I gave myself chills. That's how egotistical I am right there. I just gave myself chills. <laughs> so it's like, I'm fascinated by that. And you've been through, both of you have been through all these cycles. How has that experience been with you and Ken, knowing that you've been with them for so long? I mean, that's a 17 year run. Yeah, it's been over 120 rallies together in, in 17 years. and. Look, I think at the end of the day, it's what makes the teamwork between Ken and I so good, but also, more importantly, so seamless. That You got two individuals working in a very high-stress environment, which is this race car flying flat out through a very dangerous environment, which is a forest road. You know, there is no, it's not a circuit where you have, you know, soft walls or you have a, a fire crew ready to rescue in case your car catches on fire or an ambulance on, on duty. You know, rallying is pretty extreme for me also because of that. It's such an extreme and full on environment of, of you being by yourself in the forest flying, two individuals working together. Uh, so th that is one of the challenges that I really enjoy of the sport. And when you do it with someone like, in my case, my partnership with Ken in the car has been so many years, it makes your job, I don't want to say easier, but it makes it uh, um, more seamless. You know, the communication is almost... Uh, uh, Jedi type, you know, yeah, so you yeah, don't have to say you it. read each other's minds, you know, so to me, that's, uh, that's really cool. And, and long-term driver, co-driver relationships in our sport, like very long-term, 10, 15, 17 years in our case are quite rare. They, they usually, the partnership with the driver is two, three years, then the driver moves on and you know, co-driver progresses and so on. So, I'm pretty proud of such a long-term relationship, you know, and, you know, we have won many races. We raced everywhere in the world, you know, has created, has allowed me to create a, a fantastic career in a sport that when I was a kid, it was a dream to, to do this as a, as a job. So uh, I'm very grateful to him uh, for taking me on board and, you know, many, many years ago to our sponsors that have supported us, you know, and then, uh, um, yeah, it's been a fantastic adventure. Yeah, it's amazing to see too. It's uh, it's very inspiring to see the uh, level that you guys operate, but also that you guys are just. I, I was always amazed by rally at the park expose, which is like a period of time where you can kind of hang out with drivers and talk to people. At how approachable everybody is. It's not like uh, Lewis Hamilton. Like <laughs> you, you know, you can't even get near him because he's a he's a knight. You know what I'm saying? So it's. It's, it's a real grassroots feeling of a sport, and I, I love it. Um, Re, I want to talk to you uh, about co-driving specifically because there might be people here who, or people we're recording a podcast too. We're doubling, double dipping here um, that might not even understand what that even means. Can you describe what the relationship is and the responsibilities of a co-driver in relationship to their driver? How does a co-driver work in rally? Yeah, so if any of you have ever watched any onboards of rally, you'll hear a little voice that's talking and the driver's obviously driving to what they're hearing. So what happens in rally is those are the pace notes and those pace notes, Travis and I will go out and we'll do a reconnaissance of the stage. And when we do the reconnaissance of the stage, Travis will tell me at, at normal road speed, so 30 miles per hour in our recce car, which is just a WRX um, and so we'll drive along 30 miles per hour and he'll tell me what he wants written down and I write it down in shorthand. 
So he has his specific pace notes, which he uses. Every driver uses a different terminology. So first pass, we write that down. Second pass, I'm going to call it back. He's going to check he's happy with all the notes and he's going to tell me anything he wants added. So he might say add a don't there, which means don't cut because there might be a big stump on the inside of the corner. He might say add an in there. We need to stay in because there's a big cliff. So we go along, we check all that. While we're doing all this, we're recording it with our GoPro. So we finish reconnaissance, we get back to the hotel and we'll then watch all of our reconnaissance at double the speed on my laptop and I'll call it back to Travis. And the reason we do it double speed, we can rehearse the stage. So we'll call it back, we can rehearse the stage, he checks he's happy with the notes. And then the next process is obviously gonna be going and racing the stages. So when we get out and race the stages, five, four, three, two, one, as fast as Travis can drive with me calling the notes to the correct timing. With pace notes, there's lots of timing involved for us co-drivers, so you need to make sure that when you mark up your notes, you're writing them in a way that you're going to be calling them for precision and timing and stuff like that. So that's the most important part of our job, but there's also a lot of planning and preparation. So before we go to a rally, Alex and I are having to study the route that we're going to be doing. We have to make a reconnaissance plan of how we'll, we'll recce the stages. We have to go over all the rules and regulations for each event. So there's actually a lot of planning and preparation which goes into every single race. Um, it's not just turn up and race. And then at the races, we usually are getting three, four hours of sleep every night because you just have so much work you need to do. One, Even though you've done all this planning and preparation before it, once you're actually at the event, you know it's hours and hours of work to then try and go and win the rally. Uh, with our training program, Oz Rally Pro, we teach every single step of the way. So if you are here and you're like, hey, I'd like to try co-driving, you know, it's something that you can come and train and you can get into a rally the following week. You know what I mean? It's, it's not like getting a license is really easy, um, coming and doing a program isn't hard, then you just need to get your safety gear. You know, you need your race suit, your, ha your hands device, your helmet. So it's one of those sports that, like Mike just said, grassroots is really easy to get into. Um, and it's for co-driving side, it's not very expensive. You know what I mean? Like um, drivers obviously is different. You need to get your car and things like that. Um, but for a co-driver side, for you to get into the sport, it's actually – not too hard a process at all, especially if you take the right steps. You might go volunteer at a rally. You might come and do our training program. Then you might say to us, hey, how do I now find a ride? And we help you get into a ride and things like that. So co-driving, I definitely think is really accessible to anyone. Um, driving is a little bit more difficult because you'll need more of a budget to be able to either lease or rent a car or have your own car. So, Hi, Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't, no, no worries. We'll just stop for you, right? We were talking about you. It's okay. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you so much for covering that. And, and um, Alex, um, I wanted to ask you about the breakdown of stages in American Rally and kind of how that difference uh, differentiates between World Rally. Because when I, when I, I didn't know this until recently, because they're like, you know, people who ask you, hey, hey, where do we go to watch the, the race? Like, where can we go? Where's, <laughs> where's the stands at? And there is no stands because you run stages in different segments, which are different sections geographically displaced from each other. And I had no clue that this was a thing that you did. And a rally happens to be, it could be 15 different mini races. <laughs> World Rally is, is um, the father of you know, the sun that is American rally. And it's very different because in world rally, it's like F1. It's, it's super popular overseas, not as popular here in the US, but describe to me world rally versus American rally and how it all works. Well, first I'd like to say that the level where we got US, North America rallying in the last five, six years is actually being quite strong. There has been, uh, people that influenced athletes that have influenced the sport, like you know Travis Pastrana, Ken Block, Bucky Lasek, you know, and, and 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 others that have really grown the popularity of the sport here in North America. So we're pretty stoked about that. Uh, we go to an event now, and we 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 get to a, a spectator point in one of the stages, and although we go by it really fast, we don't get to see. You sense there is a thousand people in the hairpin watching for North America for US. That's pretty cool, you know, and something we didn't witness ten. 12 years ago. So to witness that growth of the sport here in North America has been fantastic. How it compares to WRC, WRC is everything that we have, we do in North America rallying, but double, you know, 
double the day, double the mileages, double the competition, double the level and the speeds, you know. So it is a, it is a quite, quite high competitive level. I mean, it's the world championship, but it's something that to, to also explain further the differences, you know, we go and do WRC events and one WRC event you'll learn and you'll, and you'll uh, uh, progress as a competitor as much as what it would take to do two or three events here in North America to give you an idea, one WRC event. So obviously the logistics involved in a WRC event are more vast. You know, you go, uh, the majority of the events are in Europe. You know, there is events in Australia, New Zealand, South America and everything. So, but again, what I, I like to stress the fact that what we hear in North America is actually a pretty damn cool championship. We have raised the world championship. We go to an America uh, round here in the American Championship, and we are really enjoying the challenge of it. You know, the atmosphere, the roads. We have fantastic stages here in North America. So, I've done the WRC. I would have options to do WRC, but I choose to compete in North America because I enjoy it so much, and I don't enjoy traveling as much. <laughs> yeah. Know, so, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, I noticed in my own journey and rally um, when I went to Mexico, it was like. Uh, American rally race on steroids right. <laughs> where I was just, I was so tired out of my mind that the, the intensity of the actual race, the fanfare, I mean, getting swarmed by people and just, it was like insane. I mean, people were so, they love, they brought, bring, brought their families out just to camp, to hang out, just to say hello to a couple of the drivers. It was, it was pretty impressive. And what I like about uh, what I've seen in American Rally is every segment, everybody that we talk to, Preston and all the guys that run American Rally, it's growing exponentially. And like you said, the, the, the coolest thing is the diversity because Olympus Rally is very different than New England. Yes. You know, so you get all these different places and stages. Um, American Rally, how many races on average do you do or how many stages do you do per race and what's the kind of breakdown of the task organization of how that works well to give you an example the last round was the oregon trail rally where it was run over three days uh where the first day was quite short and it was around the portland area the second day of the event was in the hood river oregon area mm. The third day was in the, in the, on the Washington side over the Hood River. So logistic wise, it was a challenging event. There, there, there were stages in two different states. So uh, it was, it was quite complicated. Uh, but to answer your question, it, it's, is the type, is the type of challenges that the sport offers. No matter if you're doing a national championship like US, or Spain, Italy, or if you're doing the WRC, which is, you know, uh, twice as, as many stages and everything. But in Oregon, we had, uh, I believe, uh, 18 stages, a WRC event, like this weekend, they're uh, doing WRC Italy. I think you're doing uh, about 36, you know, so it's just twice as many. Um, uh, but yes, uh, you said a moment ago, something that is very true. We have nine rounds in the, in the American Rally Championship all nine rounds are all different from each other. They offer different challenges, uh, uh, different uh, uh, views and, and different uh, areas and type of stages. So to me, that's one of the, the most beautiful things of our championship here in North America. You don't go, you go to Ireland and you do six rounds of the Irish championship, the roads all look the same. Because, you know, they're all made the same. But here, the roads in Arizona are different than the Pacific Northwest and, and the Boston area or, uh, or New York State and, or Ohio, which is our next event uh, next week. So uh, that's what's the beauty of our sport. Because let's, let's be honest, one of the attractions of our sport is the fact that we are in the outdoors, you know, we're not confined to a racetrack. We are in beautiful forests, you know, areas, you know, that are uh, sometimes national parks or surrounding the national parks. So me, to me, compete in those areas is very rewarding because I tell Rihanna, we get to see the world by doing our sport. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That's pretty damn cool. You don't just guy fly to Barcelona, go to the racetrack, and then you fly back. It's like, I really didn't see anything of Spain. I wasn't confined in a racetrack. 
that's one of the highlights of our sport. Isn't yeah, it? and to give you guys an idea how it works, like the Park Exposé is like a ceremonial start. We'll all be lined up and the fans can come in and you can get up close and personal to like Ken and Travis and photos and signatures and all that sort of stuff, which in other motorsports, that's not achievable. Mm. You know, you kept it back behind the barriers. You don't get close with the drivers. Um, so that's really cool. And then what we'll do is we'll transit out to a stage. So Alex and I'll have information in a book and we'll tell them how we get out to the stage. We just drive normal. Our rally cars are all road registered. We drive out. And then when we get to the stage, we've got a time card and we need to check in on the right time and we have to make sure we don't get any penalties. So everything is very structured. Then when you get to the stage, you race flat out through the stage, you finish the stage and then you do another transit section. So you're driving to your next stage, so helmets off and everything, going to the next stage, helmets back on, you know, five, four, three, two, one. So a lot of people get confused with how does rally actually work? So each time it would usually be, say, three or four stages that we'll go out and do. Then we'll come in and do a service. And the service will be in a central um, service park and it'll be like 30 minutes to an hour long. We'll have a service crew. We'll come in, park our car. They'll all work on our car. We'll have a bite to eat. Then we're watching our watch because we need to make sure we check out on the right time. Then we'll head out and do possibly those same stages again um, that you've just done and then you'll finish the day. So that's how rally actually works. It's a bit like I tell people like Tour de France how in the cycling they have stages. In rally it's the same. We have stages but each time we're, you know, telling our driver how to get if, – if we're not in that car, they don't know where they're going, they don't know how to check in. Like so a lot of people write on social media, oh, like why is that girl talking in your ear, Travis? And I'm like, oh, you can take me out of the car but he won't move because he won't know where to go, you know what I mean? So it, just to give you an idea of how rally is broken down. It's it's really interesting. My our, Me and Glenn's first – technically our first pro rally – unrestricted we placed third which is really good in a big competitive field but it's because it's an endurance event and when you treat it like an endurance event like it's a marathon not a sprint it has everything to do with the cumulative responsibilities of everybody involved and if you have a good good car but a crap crew <laughs> you're not going to make it you know if if uh you know if you're driving really well and you push the limits you're, you're going to put the car in the trees <laughs> and what was interesting is before we started that stage, we were probably fifth. And after we finished that stage, we were third because two of the cars in front of us flipped their cars. Uh, one of them reported back to Glenn. <laughs> yeah, by less than three seconds. So what, what I love about that is you could be a Travis Pastrana in, in, a, in a pro rally car, but you could also be a Mike Glover who has no experience in it and drive and compete and, and get on a podium because – it's just that kind of motorsport. There's so many variables. It's hard to to peg one specific thing that's making somebody the best. It's everything that's involved. Um, with that being said, I'm hyping you up for rally. Let's talk about like the the I guess the contrast to that, which is your situation where you had almost a catastrophic loss of life with you and your brother and a very bad accident. Um, Don't tell him that. We'll yeah, no, we're, we're going to save that. I'm trying to get him into Over the rally. dessert. They're like, yeah, no big deal. It's dessert. Um, tell, let's, t let's talk about the story and, and the specifics of where it was at, what the situation was, and, and we'll get to the injuries and everything else. Yeah, so in rally, when I was talking about reconnaissance before, it's really important that, you know, the driver does a really good job of noting the stages because when you get out there, I'm calling the notes and they're driving flat out to those notes. They're trusting everything I say. So in the situation where my brother and I had our really serious accident, the, the recce had gone, for some reason, gone late um, and the stages had got dark. So imagine trying to write pace notes with your lights on in the dark. You can't see things probably. You can't tell Crest probably. Is this going to be a jump? Is there a stump there? You can't see things very well. So reconnaissance was open till 7 p.m. or something. I think it got dark at 5.30. And we were just very young and new in our career and we kept writing pace notes. Okay, we need to get the job done, you know. So we finished our reconnaissance. When we did our video work, you can't see anything in the dark, you know. So... We couldn't really do the work we needed to do on video. And the stage was a really, really fast stage in the Australian Rally Championship where the trees are right on the edge of the road, but you have to go flat out. Like you're doing 120 miles per hour on this narrow road with trees either side and, and jumps and turns and everything like that. And 
in Australian terms, we were one kilometre from the end of the rally and, and on reconnaissance, we, because it was dark, we could tell that it was going to be a crest jump, but we didn't realise how big a jump it would be because the dark took away how we could really mo note that, that crest or jump. So when we hit it, um, little to our knowledge, this wasn't just a jump, this was like a huge jump that if you didn't take the line correctly, you're going to crash into the trees um, and you're going as fast as your rally car can go. Um, unfortunately, we crashed into the trees and, um, you know, at, I don't know, 180 kilometres per hour, which is, I don't know, 90 or something fast. <laughs> um, and yeah, like ripped out our engine, all those sort of things. And and I was really um, badly injured and so was my brother. And, and it was one of those huge lessons in life where Alex and I now with our training company or any rallies that say, hey, these are the times reconnaissance is open. And we're like, no, guys, reconnaissance needs to close before it gets dark. And you'll start to explain to them. And, and they're like, wow, I never even thought of that. They're like, oh, but you're doing the stage in the dark. I don't care if we're racing the stage in the dark but we must be writing the notes for the stage in the daylight to make sure that we get everything correct in what we get in our pace notes. Because when Mike is driving and Glenn's telling him what to do, Mike is 100% relying on what Glenn's telling him. Travis and Ken are driving. There's no question what we say to them. If I say to Travis, this is a max crest, he is taking it flat out. There's no lifting. So if we've written it wrong because it was dark and we couldn't see, you can lose your life. So it's one of those things that it was a, a lesson in racing that, that nearly took my life away, but I, I, I didn't know. No one had told us any different, you know. So it's one of those things that you learn from and, and you know that you'll never do it again, that's for sure. Yeah, and you, you quickly recovered from this, which I was impressed based on the, the story of survival that we were doing on you. I was surprised at how fast you came back because you, you, you did break both legs and you were in the hospital for a period of time. How quick was the turnaround before you were in the rally car again? Yeah, so I broke my legs in nine places, both femurs in two spots, bleeding internally, all those terrible things, stuck in the car two and a half hours before they could get me into the helicopter, um, in hospital for weeks, had to learn to walk again because when you, you know, in, aren't walking for 12 weeks, your legs forget how to walk, you know, so all those things happen. But at the same time, I was actually really lucky that I didn't remember anything of the crash. So even though I, um, when they got to us, we were in and out of consciousness, my brother and I, something in my body said, this is too traumatic. She doesn't need to, you know, remember this. Um, so I was lucky that even though I, I had 11 surgeries and I was going through all this process, my brother as well, he fractured his neck in three places. We, neither of us could remember the crash. Um, so we were both really lucky in that case because all I wanted to do was, you know, I'm in that hospital bed. I wake up, I'm like, oh, what's happened? I can't remember. And my dad's there and I, and I see my helmet over there. And I said to dad, oh, what's happened to me? He said, you had a bad crash. And I said, how am I meant to go race in Malaysia on Friday? He's like, honey, you're not going to Malaysia. And so he was like, oh my gosh, she's going to keep doing this. But because I didn't have the memory, I knew how much pain I was in and I was going through all these surgeries and having to learn to walk again. But my mind never put me through the process of having to go through the pain and agony of the crash. So for me, that was a lucky thing. So after six months, I was back in racing full time again and and didn't look back. So for me, it was it was a quicker process than I think most people thought it would be. But the funny thing is that's definitely the worst crash I've had. Crash I've had. But in 2014, I had an incident where we didn't crash, but the car burnt to the ground, and I got burnt on my hands and face. And that for me, returning four weeks later because I had my next race, for, was actually a lot harder than getting in after broken legs because I remembered every step of having to get out of that burning car and and fearing for my life and am I going to get out and then being burnt. I remembered the whole thing. So that was actually a lot harder than coming back from broken legs, which was obviously a lot more recovery than that. So it's funny how your body will, will do what it needs to. And when you're as passionate about it as we are, I, I didn't, psychologically, mentally, I didn't even consider that I wouldn't continue to do this because it's my life, you know what I mean? So, but don't hear those stories and be put off. Like Alex has done this for 29 years and touch wood, never broken a bone, you know. I just have been unlucky that there was two incidents where I went through and, and these horrific things happened because we do have bad crashes, but the safety equipment and everything in the cars is incredible. 
So it is actually quite rare to be injured in what we do, to be honest. Yeah, I was just going to mention uh, and ask you about it, Alex. You were just in a pretty look-to-be-horrifying crash where you guys were coming around a right-hand corner, went a little wide, corrected, and then smacked a tree head-on. And I watched that video with you, and it was 12 Gs, the amount of energy that was transferred, going from 60-plus miles an hour to zero in an instance. It's funny because that tree, like, didn't, it didn't even, like, not a pine needle came off that tree. And then, you know, totaled a world rally car, like a very um, capable vehicle, and you walked away from it. And, yeah, you're bruised, but what are some of the elements of safety equipment that helped you walk away from that? Well, obviously, nowadays, luckily, the sanctioning bodies that govern our sport are very strict when it comes to things like seats and seat belts and helmets and race suits in the case of, you know, fire dangers and things like that. So th- that is something that is covered by the sanctioning body. You know, the, the, the tools, the equipment is out there to keep competitors safe. Then one thing that we as competitors can do is to stay as fit as possible and as healthy as possible. You know, spending, for us co-drivers, look, we, we're not operating the vehicle, but we, we are in a vehicle that travels uh, at the same speeds, you know, is the same for, for the driver, but this, the amount of stress is the same. So we make sure that we stay physically fit especially on our core, you know, on our neck, on our core. Uh, so in case of an accident, you'll be as safe as possible. And then Rhiannon mentioned a moment ago, there is a psychological factor as well. You know, I, I did have a couple of big, I mean, this crash that we had uh, um, last month was one of the, my top three crashes in my 30 years of rallying, but I had a couple of big crashes about 12 years ago where I got to a point where I considered uh, maybe this is a time to, to stop. And I didn't want to stop, but my mind wanted me to stop. So I was conflicted between continuing and not doing it. In that case, I had to seek help of, uh, you know, of a professional that taught me ways of how mentally uh, go past the struggles of a big crash, the, the, the struggles that, are, that leave you the, the mind scar. So it took a little bit, but then once I learned that process, now when when I crash, I don't want to say it's easier, but mentally I'm able to go over the shock, the mental shock quicker. I mean, like you said, it was one of the biggest crashes of my career five weeks ago, and 10 days ago we won one of our best races of our career. So it takes quite a bit of work, not only with the normal work that you do at the events, but also mentally. Otherwise, you won't be able to get in that car anymore. Crazy. Um, when, like my mom's always worried about me getting a rally car, <laughs> but I tell her these kind of stories of like how you guys walk away from these crashes. <laughs> um, and the amount of, like the Hans device, all the safety equipment that's in the vehicle to protect you. And also like even just going in one direction, like it's, the, the odds of you having a catastrophic crash are very rare. This isn't the group B days. <laughs> um, we have rules, we have safety, and, it's, and it works. Um, I want to ask you, uh, Alex, about the process that Oz Rally Pro uses in training a co-driver with zero skills walking in the door saying, I want to be a co-driver. What are some of the ways that you train a person who has no experience to become one of you guys? Well, obviously, between the two of us, we, we have nearly, nearly 50 years of racing experience, you, old, you know, so yeah, uh, we try to pass on to the students as much experience as we can. Look, co-drivers is an interesting subject because I'll tell you the truth, the best co-drivers are in the late 40s and early 50s because you may have a talented co-driver that is in their early 20s, but what makes the best co-drivers is experience. So you can be a re- very talented co-driver and being 20, 22, but you'll be at your best in your 50s when you have done two, three, 400 rallies. It's, that's the way it is. There is, no, there is no substitution for experience. Drivers is different. You could have a driver that is extremely talent, talented and can be a successful driver. I mean, the current world championship leader is 21 years old. 
so uh, young Finnish driver. So uh, the, the, the way we, we teach the co-drivers to answer your question is that uh, we follow a, a, a pretty, I don't wanna say strict, but a pretty comprehensive process of starting from the basics and working our ways up. Our sport is a complicated sport, especially from our side of the car where I don't want to say that the driver just drives, you know, <laughs> but we manage everything around that. So it is complicated. You know, the logistics are complicated. The science behind the pace notes is complicated. So it takes time. And sometimes uh, that training process can't be done over the two days, which is our typical, um, you know, two days program. You know, it needs to be not done over different steps. You know, a student comes to see us for two days then they do a couple years of competition they learn, they gain the experience, then they come and see us again to move into the next step because there is a lot of steps because it's a complicated sport. Yeah, it to, seems like a different language. Yeah, and yeah. to give you guys an idea, we run a program at Dirtfish, which is in Seattle, not far from you guys. Um, and what we do is we do two days of training and in that training we'll have 12 students and we'll start in a classroom together and we'll go through some of the processes and then six students, three in each car, go out and do reconnaissance practice with Alex and another driver. I stay with six students in the classroom and I'm teaching about the rules and how all the processes work and things like that. While they're out teaching them how to take down notes on reconnaissance and things, we do a swap over and then the next day you actually get to go in rally cars and get to call pace notes. So that training, we are actually putting you through all the processes you would need to do to go be a rally co-driver. So what we find is a lot of people come to do that training and they'll be like, I'm really interested in rally. I want to be an official. I want to do this, but I don't want to rally. And we'll be like, okay, no problem. That's fine. They'll finish the training. They'll call the pace notes and they're like, I want to be a rally co-driver because they went through every step that's required. Yeah, they haven't got the experience right now, but they know that everything's involved with it. So when Dirtfish asked us about doing that training and we're like, hey, can we put students in rally cars because we really want them to learn how to call pace notes at speed to a driver because that is the most important thing. Can Do they get car sick? How do they feel about doing this in a car? Do they have feeling in the car? You know, Can they feel that this is the corner, that they're in a three and this is whatever? That's all really important. And for us to be able to do that, our training that we would do in Idaho at our house when Mike come, we don't have rally cars, we don't have that set up, but by coming to Dirtfish, you get to do all the processes and all the steps. So that's been a really cool thing that we've been able to do with our program. We've trained 60 co-drivers through that program now. Um, our next one's in September, so there'll be another 12 students we train in September that way. So if anyone asks us, that is definitely the best program to do because you get to, you might get in the rally car and you might be petrified and you're like, I don't like this, you know, and that's fine. But it would be better there than doing your first rally and you're in the first stage and you're screaming and you're like, ah, slow down. And, and it's a bit late now because you've got to do another 18 stages. You know, you can't bail on the driver in the middle of the forest because the driver then can't race. So I think that that's a really cool way to do and it. And at the end of the day, it's the same idea that when I went and trained when I was 18 years old in Italy. It was a comprehensive classroom and then reconnaissance training. But then at the end of the training, there was time spent with a professional driver in a rally car for one or two hours, you know, to to offer the full package. So a few years ago, when we sat down with Dirfish, we we said to them, we like what we are, we are happy with the program we're offering. Our students are succeeding. They're getting into the sport, they're continuing into the sport, they are progressing. That's what we want to see. But there is something that we're missing, is the time in the rally car during their training. Yeah. So they were able to come up with a solution. Yes, we have rally cars, we have a facility, we can offer that. We partner with them and uh, it's been very successful. And now out of 60 students, nearly 50%, 60 students in the last year and a half, year, nearly two years, 50% of them have already done their first rally. We're pretty excited about that because this is a time where it's a good time to get into the sport because there is a lot of competitors, a lot of drivers are getting involved. There is a lot of need of co-drivers. So that was also one of the push why we wanted to uh, do this sort of program with Dirfish and bring it to the next level. I want to ask you the question I asked you upstairs about what you think the characteristics of a good co-driver are. Because I noticed having been to your house and having been to the training and everything that you guys do, you have similar types of personalities when it comes to like uh, OCD, 
Like you guys are like a super, like you're super organized with everything and it's got to be perfect. And that's, you're very structured, but that is the, that is like the, that's what you need to succeed in this sport, right? Yeah, definitely OCD does help a bit. <laughs> um, because everything, you know, to be a good co-driver, you need to be extremely organized um, because, you know, you need to have everything. I text Travis the night before. So Thursday night, I text him to tell him step by step what is happening on Friday. 7 a.m. we're meeting for breakfast. 7.30 we're in the car leaving the hotel. 8 o'clock we do it. Like he gets a text of every single breakdown of that day. So he knows he's like, I need this in my everyday life because I'm always late. And so and then preparation, you know, we're at home, we're planning, we're preparing. So being OCD helps because being a co-driver, it, it requires a lot of work and it requires a lot of, you know, planning and preparation and knowing that you can't be late to things because if you're late in rally, it's a time penalty. You know what I mean? So so it's not like if I'm due at 10 o'clock and I arrive there at 10.02, I've just got Travis a 20-second penalty. You know what I mean? So uh, like... You know, or if we're early, the opposite, you actually get even more penalty. So you have to be exactly on time. It's just the way it works because it's so structured. If Ken is first car on the road and I start two minutes after him, I can't arrive to check in before Ken and start the stage before him. So they give me a minute per minute penalty if I'm early because people would move around otherwise and you're not, not allowed to do that. But at the same time, they don't want you running late because the rally gets behind. You know what I mean? So it's all very structured and scheduled and things like that. You have a time card. You need to be good at math because you need to be adding up as you're going. A lot of people are like, I can't add time. They're like, how do you add 75 minutes to 10, 14, you know what I mean? Like, so there's lots of things like that that they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, there is an app that you can use if you really need to, you know what I mean? So, but those things are really important. And like you said, you come to our house and I freak out if there's a bit of dust on the ground, but that's our personalities. And I think that that's what works in our job. There is definitely a level of discipline yeah. involved that is required from both sides of the car, not just from the co-driver, even from discipline, which is great. I mean, Ken now is getting his kids involved into the sport. His oldest daughter, Leah, is competing and rallying. I said to him, look, that's the best thing you could have done. Either driver, co-driver, it doesn't matter because he's gonna teach a teenager, that young, what's required to do your job right. Discipline, if, you're, if you don't have that, if you're late, you're gonna be penalized. You know, you're gonna screw up an entire weekend of work that other people around you and your driver, your co-driver, you know, so the teamwork, the discipline, I like that about our sport. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think the, I was sitting across the air, uh, airplane and uh, Leah and Ken were across the aisle and I noticed Leah immediately when we got out of the plane right after the race, after Olympus, pulled her laptop out, got it open, started going over her notes. And I look at her and I'm like, Oh crap, let me get my notes. <laughs> like, I gotta do some of this. And it's it you're right, it's like life lessons, yeah. right? It translates. Yes. Um, I wanna ask you, Alex, because you, you have a lot of experience working with a lot of different drivers as a co-driver, but just being in the sport, both on the world rally side and ARA. Um, what are the best attributes that you've seen make the best drivers in the world? Uh, it's a great question. It's really a combination of factors, you know, obviously the talent behind the wheel, uh, but, but patience is very, very important. This is a sport that tests your patience. You know, when you look at, at the data and the finishes, you know, there is more disappointment than, you know, than good results. That, that creates really true grit in any individual that is involved into the sport. Uh, talent behind the wheel, but also um, being able to to process things on the fly. Let's not forget what we said uh, 20 minutes ago. I said, it's a high stressful environment. You got this co-driver reading some information that you as a driver created two days ago during the reconnaissance. The co-driver reads it, calls it through the intercom, goes through your ears, and uh, you process it and drive accordingly to every bit of information. It took me 10, 12 seconds to explain it, but it happens Instantly, it happens subconsciously. So if you don't have your things right in your mind, you know, and you don't have, like we said before, the discipline and, 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 the, and, the, and the precision, you know, you're not gonna be su succeeding at this. So that's why I said it's a combination of factors. It's not just the talent behind the wheel. You don't jump into a touring car and you do 
few laps of a racetrack, you learn every single line, and then you drive accordingly to everything that your memory tells you. This requires a lot of multitasking. So multitasking, I guess, is a good you know, thing to have as a driver because mm -hmm. you're gonna need it. Um, besides Ken Block, who, in your opinion, is the best driver in the world? <laughs> you had to give one. Uh, there is a lot of good ones. Well, what I said before, the, the one that is currently winning the world championship at 21 years old, Kalevo Rovampera, is, is an impressive uh, talent. And uh, I observe him not from the camera behind him, the onboard, but the, from the camera pointing at him. And I look at this 21 years old, calm eyes and, and reactions and everything. Uh, I think there is going to be many world championships coming from him. You know? and, and then, I mean, I've always been a fan of the most successful driver, which is Sebastian Loeb. He's uh, now semi-retired, he's doing some Dakar events, but that driver adds something that I'd never seen in any other drivers, which was a sense of understanding the grip. When you think you are understanding the grip or a professional driver is understanding the grip, Sebastian's low level of grip understanding was just 10 poles ahead. That's what allowed him to be so successful. Interesting. Uh, Ree, same question. I know Travis is the best driver in the world, <laughs> But outside of Travis, who, who do you think is the best and why? Yeah, I mean, the two Sebs, the Frenchies, Sebastian Ogier and Sebastian Loeb, they've won nine and eight WRC championships between them, which is incredible. Um, so there was a long string of only French Sebs winning the world championship, which was, um, you know, Alex and I were out there competing and it was pretty impressive to see what they were achieving. Um, but at the end of the day, there's been many, you know, great heroes throughout the time. Like Tommy Mackinnon won four WRC championships in a row. Like throughout the years, there's been many great drivers. Um, but right now, if we talk about current times, like Alex said, Calais Rovampera, who if you ever look him up on YouTube, guys, there's videos of him at like eight years old or something, like in a car just ripping it, like insane. In a, car, a regular car. A proper car. Eight, eight years old, he's changing gears and and now he's leading the World Rally Championship. You know, like, and he his father won some World Rally Championships uh, um, rounds and stuff like that. So he's definitely got rally in his blood. He's coming up through... Um, and if we're talking about currently right now, who is the best, I would say Calais is definitely right up there. Think about my kids and how I can make them better. <laughs> this is I'm going to start time. them at seven. Yep. They're going to be in the car Build at seven. Build a rally track, off you go. Yeah. Um, Reagan will call them notes. You, you, you guys, Oz Rally Pro has been around for now, third, how many years? About uh, eight. 2013 we started. Oh, 2013 yep. it started, so eight years. Nine, eight years. Nine years, yep. Um, when, when you go to, what I've noticed about the initial training of co-driving training, where you build a foundation, we, we, if you didn't know it, we, they're here to train me and Glenn, my co-driver, I was just in the back of Heber up in the, up in the mountain. Beautiful road. Yeah. Doing, doing, uh, training and it's so perishable. Like I just felt, I almost felt like I, I started from scratch. <laughs> That first run where I'm like, what, what am I doing? Like left, right? Like I don't know my left from my right. Um, what is the recommendation for a protocol for becoming a co-driver and then sustaining the training if you had to give an academic plan? Is it like once every whatever? Like is there, a, is there like a plan of attack to keep your skills up to be the best? Yeah, I think the first thing is you need to do the training and then get yourself in a rally car as soon as possible. Because what happens is if you do the training and you don't get in a car for six to 12 months, you forget what you've just learned. You know what I mean? So that's really important. And we say to people when you're starting out, like right now, Alex and I are in a position where we're mainly only just working with Travis and Ken. But like in 2020, for example, I worked with seven drivers in 2020. We're contractors, just like people in other jobs. So we contracted to drivers and they ring us employers for a ride. So when you're starting out, you know, do the training, get yourself in a car and don't be afraid to work with a variety of drivers because by working with a variety of drivers, you learn things. You know what I mean? You see mistakes drivers make, you make mistakes yourself, you learn things from them. You might work with an experienced driver who will teach you a few things about your timing or things like that. But also do 12 months, you know, 
if you train with us, send us on boards, send it, you know, Glenn was doing that after Olympus, send us photos of your notes, send us on boards. Can you give me feedback? You know, and then we'll give you feedback. And then after 12 months, okay, guys, what's next for me? What do I need to take that next step? It's not a sport that you can just train once, do two rallies a year and progress. You know what I mean? It's a sport that's ever progressing and you'll be coming better in every year, every rally you do. The more rallies you can do, the better. Yeah, it's hard when you have a full-time job or something like that. There's a lot of people who say to us, I only get two weeks off a year. And they're like, the two weeks I get off a year, I rally. You know what I mean? Because that's what they want to do. But it is one of those sports. And like Mike said, Mike hasn't done a race since Olympus. We went out and do recce practice and we start and he's like, what do I do again? You know what I mean? So it's very easy to forget the skill. Um, there's a lot of cool things you can do from home with practice. Like once we teach people, we then say, okay, go onto YouTube, get Travis and my video, listen to it, write down what I'm saying, and then turn the volume down and call back those notes to Travis's driving on your TV at home. You know, and people are like, that's so cool, but you can do that. You know what I mean? Anyone can do that. Um, you know, things like practicing your shorthand. I used to write the word slippy if it was slippy. Now I do a dollar sign. Yeah, because if you crash when it's slippy, it's going to be expensive. But also a dollar sign was something easy for me to see. So, you know, there's a lot of progress that you need to do in, in your shorthand and things like that. So there's a lot of steps, a lot of processes, and it's not something that we just would want you to train and then, you know, do one, two rallies a year. It's like train and try and do four or five rallies a year. Then, then work out how you can get better and things like that. The onboard, uh, video onboard technology that we have available nowadays, you go to a Best Buy, wherever, you know, buy a GoPro, you can record your own race. It's something that we actually, I didn't have when I, I, no. I, I was introduced to the sport. So my progression from zero rallies to, to becoming a, a decent co-driver took longer than what it takes today. Because today you can go to YouTube and watch onboards, you know, rally onboards and starting to understand the process behind the timing of the calls and the pace notes and the science behind it. So uh, now you, uh, there is more tools available to new uh, people that are coming into the sport that allows them to progress quicker and better. Yeah, so uh, it's, a, it's a good time, you know, to, yeah. to, to learn this. And, and we use the video technology in our training and you know, we indoctrinate our driver, the co-drivers and co-drivers that we train to use video technology because the best in the world are using it to their advantage to understand how to improve, how to make their notes more precise. So a, a newbie can do that uh, or, or a national championship level team can do that. So that technology is there, is available and it's, uh, it's very, very good. And it's cool too, because every driver uses a different system. Mm. So if I'm co-driving for my brother in Australia, his system is a one to 10. So 10 means flat out and one means hairpin. So he, that's how his system works. Travis and Ken use a one to six. So if you hear six in their notes, that's their fastest note. And if you hear a one, and when I talk about these numbers, that's the, the degree of the corner. So how they scale it is totally up to them. So when Travis does a little input on his steering wheel, oh, that's his six. He does a bit more, that's his five, that's his four, that's his three, that's whatever. It's not a gear ratio or anything like that. It's their angle degree for each corner. When I say my brother uses a one to 10, he obviously has more numbers happening. There's some drivers that use one as fast and nine is slow. It honestly doesn't matter. But if you go onto YouTube and look and you listen and you're hearing these numbers, that's what those numbers are. That's their angle of the corner for them as a driver. And then you'll hear numbers between, you might hear 70, 60, 50. That's the distance from one corner to the next corner. So most drivers tend to measure that in meters. So if Mike says to me, three left 70, that means he's going around a three left, which is about a 90 degree for him. He's going around three, and he's got 70 meters until he gets to whatever's next, a corner or a crest or whatever. So when you're watching it and you're like, I don't even know what this means, that's what it means for them. Uh, last question, um, and then I'll let the audience ask some questions. Um, you both are champions. You both have been at the top uh, of your game uh, by winning the national ARA title. Uh, Ree, what year did you win the national ARA title? I actually won it last year. Won so, it last year? What, yeah. And then what year did you win? I haven't won it yet. Yeah. Really? No. Okay, so, and then that's, that's the goal, objective. That's the goal. That's course, the goal. Yeah. So let's talk about, my bad, I didn't realize you, you know, <laughs> but we've you've won, won. We've both won like class. So there's different classes in rally. So I've won the two wheel drive championship in 2013 and then with my brother 2017 with Toyota. 
than the overall, which is out of everyone in 2021. So in rally, there's lots of different classes. So Mike, oh, okay, Mike yeah. was raced when he said he was on the podium. That was in his class, which was limited, limited four-wheel drive. Limited four-wheel drive. There'll be two-wheel drive. There'll be open, which is what Alex and I are competing in. So when you go race, you don't you don't have to feel like, just say you want to drive, right? And you get yourself a car. Don't feel like you'll just be there and you're trying to beat um, Ken and Travis. You'll be there and you'll have your class. So you might be in two-wheel drive. You might be in limited four-wheel drive. Whatever class you fit into, that's who you'll be racing in your class. And then you have the overall, which is what we compete in. We're trying to win the race overall, um, not a class thing. But there's definitely different classes that you'll compete in in the category for your car. You don't have to have a half-million-dollar car to compete and, and be competitive. It's different classes, which is so the really cool. So the overall is being the fastest car out of all out the Out of the cars. whole field. Yeah, yeah. and then the, yeah. the class, which would be open two or two-wheel drive. Two drive. Yeah. Uh, you both have one in your classes yeah. at the championship. When you, when you look back and reflect on those championship wins where you were at the top, what are some correlations or things that you recognize that year you did differently to be at the top versus not? Was it obviously less mistakes? Was there something specific that you did as a, as a, a trait or an attribute that you changed tactic, tactics-wise? What, what made you, like last year you won, what was different? I mean, when I got in the car with Travis, um, Travis had, hadn't worked really, really many co-drivers that were willing to really push him, you know what I mean? I'm that sort of person that I'm 100%. So if you put me in the car with you, even if you don't like it, I'm going to give you feedback and I'm going to expect feedback from you. And it could be critical. It could be you need to do this better, you need to be that, do that better. But in my opinion, if I get in your car, I want to win. So I want to tell you what you need to do better at the same time as that. So when I got in with Travis, there was so many things that he wasn't doing, you know, that, that I learned from the World Rally Championship. The great thing with Travis Pastrana, he's a champion. You know what I mean? So he wants to be better. So when you say to him, this in your pace notes isn't good enough, this isn't, he says, you know, tell me, Let, let's do this. So when we won last year, Travis did homework that he had never done before. So when I said we record the stages on reconnaissance, he's like, okay, so is that if we have like a little area we're not happy about? We go, And I'm like, no, after reconnaissance, we watch every single stage at double speed. And he's like, Bree, do we ever get to sleep? And I'm like, not until the homework's done. And he's like, why did I put a teacher in my car? And I'm like, sorry about that. But, but the homework and the processes that we went through, we were one and two in the championship last year. We're at home in our office and we both know how hard we're working. And we both know that out of any other co-drivers, are they doing the same work as us? No, because we're putting in every single effort that we can to make sure that we're winning races. So to win championships, there's that extra effort that you need to put in that maybe drivers didn't even know about. But when you do our training, we teach you all that. We don't keep any secrets. We say, this is what you need to do to be the best. It's not like we say, we're gonna show you all these little things. We're saying, okay, this is everything we do. You take it away and do what you want to do. Because some people like, I have a normal everyday job. I don't have time for this. This is too much. No problem. Or some people say, well, I guess you were a PE teacher at one stage. Because you did all this other work, even though you had a full-time job, you were able to then make it your career. So it's one of those things that you can pick and choose how what you take from it. Must say is the same thing, you know, there, because it, when you are... Let's, let's use our example uh, in the open class competing for overall wins. That limit up there is really, really high. If you don't do your homework, if you don't push both you and the driver to prepare yourself with the pace notes and the video work, uh, as much as you can possibly do, two things will either will happen. You either you won't be able to be competitive or you will make the mistake and you will crash, you know. So, uh, so it's a fine line. It's a riding, very, yeah. very fine line, you know. And sometimes, I don't know, Mike, sometimes it's not like we don't want to put the, the work. It's just there is a, a combination of factors that don't allow you to, or maybe your driver at a, an event in Europe and he's arriving today and the reconnaissance is today and, and the driver is tired, so he's not going to create good, precise pace notes, then two days from now you have the rally and you're not going to be competitive because the, the notes that the driver created weren't good and precise enough because it was coming from a different commitment on the other side of the world, you know what I mean? So it requires a, quite a bit of, of hard work, like Rhiannon said a moment ago. I would say like 
and anything in life, luck in, in sport. You know, you, you could be as prepared as you can. You go around the corner and you find a rock on the line. Here's your flat tire. You were leading the rally or, or you're, deer. Le you're, you're leading the rally and you, you hit a deer with three miles <laughs> from the end. How do you control this stuff? You know, so luck is heavily involved in our sport as well. As well. But when you do your homework and you work hard, you set yourself up for doing well and for winning. And, and that's why I think two weeks ago we won because it was the most prep work that Ken and I have done. We literally left no stone unturned. That's the term I think that yeah. that's used. Yeah. We started that race at the ceremonial start at Park Expo. So we looked at each other and we said, we couldn't have done anymore. Best of luck to you. Have a good day. Interesting. Yeah, because the first race, Missouri, they smacked a deer. While leading. While leading, yeah. While leading. How do you control that? Then Olympus <laughs> smacked a tree. Yeah, that was I, a mistake. Yeah. And then I imagine the pressure. Yes. What, so the, the tactic was, let's just go all in. Yeah, the pressure. 100% effort. Yeah, the pressure was the, the, the most pressure I ever had in my entire career at Oregon two weeks ago because we had to win without putting a scratch in the car against people that are extremely talented like the Travis Pastrana and Rhiannon, you know, the Brandon Seminar, these people, they bleed talent because what they do in their life, what Travis has done with a motocross bike, what Brandon Seminar is one of the best mountain bike riders in the world. You don't mess with these people. These people, they are the elite in their own. They strap themselves in a rally car with a roll cage. They feel even more invincible. <laughs> so you can't do a half-assed job with these people. They will destroy you. So the pressure was there to perform, to win, and the team said, we can't have a scratch in the car because the next race in two and a half weeks in Ohio on the other side of the country. So there was a little pressure. We managed it pretty happy, but now the work, the work doesn't end. There is a championship to, to fight for. So the work for Ohio, which is next week, started a week ago, you know, reviewing the notes from last year, watching the onboards, sending all this material to Ken, which has been busy in the last few days, but he's been watching all those stages, even without me being with him. Uh, so then we're gonna uh, see each other at the hotel on Monday. We're gonna spend several hours watching all the stages because we carry on the, the notes from the previous year. Then on Tuesday, we'll do the test. Then on Wednesday, we'll do the reconnaissance step. This is this week, this, this is a couple days. This coming back, <laughs> step by step by step because the level is so high. Uh, if you don't do your own work, you'll either hurt yourself or you lose. Yeah. And you, we don't want either. You know? Yeah, amazing. I get so geeked out over this mm -hmm. stuff. So crazy.